Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. It's always a joy to be with you, and I thought I'd give you, Leslie and I are here today, so Leslie's with me. Many of you will see her perhaps in the lobby after the service, but uh, I'd love to give you a little update on our kids. You guys poured into our kids when they were young. Megan was born while we were here at Bible Center, and so uh, this picture was taken recently of our kids. Our son, John, our oldest, is 28, and he is a, um, a project manager for the New York Times Advertising Division. He lives in Brooklyn, New York. Our uh, middleist, Katie, uh, is 26, and she is the assistant political director of the Japanese consulate in Chicago. And that's an interesting role she has there, working for the Japanese foreign ministry, helping them understand American politics, especially in the Midwest. And uh, then our youngest, Megan, is, uh, has graduated from college as well. All three are out now, and she uh, is back in our area and is in an apartment with my brother Troy's daughter, Kylie, and a friend they have. And uh, this summer, Megan will be getting married on July 17th. And so our first to get married will be Megan, and we're excited about that. I think we're down to like 97 days, 96 days or something until uh, the wedding. And she works uh, at the school next door to our church, Oaks Christian School, uh, where Leslie also works, but uh, uh, Megan works as a tutor. And so I just wanna say thank you. Many of you poured into our kids when they were really little and uh, had an influence in their lives for the Lord and so appreciate that. And the way you've poured into our lives over the years has been such a blessing. You know, when you consider um, who Jesus is, you can get a lot of different opinions. And in this Holy Week, as we enter into this week where we reflect on that final week, the Passion Week, before Jesus went to the cross and then went to the grave and then was raised, uh, there are a lot of different opinions about who Jesus is. Uh, about a decade ago, somebody found at a flea market uh, this action figure Jesus that they gave me. And uh, action figure Jesus comes in a box it's a miracle action figure Jesus with glow-in-the-dark hands. That really makes it special, that his hands glow. And when you get him outside of the box, then you find that you can do the miracle of uh, the loaves and fishes and water into wine. Uh, you have these little things that will help you. And uh, I was struck with this because I thought, why glow-in-the-dark hands? Why did they pick two specific uh, of, the, of the miracles, and I thought, well, whoever made this action figure, and I've got this still in my office back in California, it, it just reminds me that we all can have different opinions, and people in the world have opinions about who Jesus is. He was maybe a great philosopher, or he was a moral example, or a teacher, or he is a kind man, and there were different views of who Jesus is, and often they miss who Jesus really is, why Jesus came, and what he offers us. As we think about Palm Sunday, they really missed who Jesus was, even though they were accurate in their worship and their praise and their receiving him as he came into Jerusalem, they really didn't get it. So the crowd moves from praising him and worshiping him and saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They sing Hosanna, salvation now, and they welcome him into the city to the point that they later in the week are crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Today I wanna to talk about King Jesus. I wanna talk about who he really is and who he is as we see him entering into Jerusalem on that triumphal entry. Author and pastor Timothy Keller says, most people want Jesus as a consultant rather than a king. A lot of people just want Jesus to come alongside them in their lives rather than be Lord of their lives, to be the king of their lives. And as he entered into Jerusalem, he truly 
allowed his disciples and the crowd to recognize him as Messiah and King. Up to that point, he had had conversations with individuals, he had had conversations with people, even in times of miracles, and he'd say, don't share this, don't share this. But on that entry into Jerusalem, that Passover week 2,000 years ago, Jesus was allowing them to praise him and receive him as the messianic king that had been promised in the Old Testament. Today I wanna talk about King Jesus. King Jesus. If you have your Bibles or maybe you have a Bible app, you can go to Luke chapter 19. We'll look at Luke 19, 28 to 44. The entry of Jesus into Jerusalem that Passover week is one of the stories in Christ's life that's actually covered by all four of the Gospels. Luke's record gives us a fuller account, but he does leave out two things, and that is he leaves out the word Hosanna. He also leaves out the palm branches being waved, and I'll mention those. But I I want us to see in this passage of Luke 19, 28 to 44, this very important truth. Whether you've known Jesus a long time, personally, you've been saved for many, many, many years, decades, or perhaps you're here today and you're a bit skeptical and you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is and what church is about and, and what Christianity is about. I want us to understand this together. We experience deep joy when we embrace King Jesus for who he is not just who we want him to be. A lot of people are looking for the Jesus they want rather than recognizing the Jesus who is. And in the triumphal entry, we get some great snapshots of who King Jesus is. And when we really embrace him for who he is, we experience deep joy in life. If you'll follow along, I wanna read Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He's going up from Jericho. It's uh, about 3,000 feet. He's gonna climb 3,000 feet as he goes up to Jerusalem. And it's a a windy road through the desert. It says, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany, they're the last little towns you'll find as you come up that incline uh, from the east to Jerusalem. At the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They cried out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. 
because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Notice he says, of God's coming to you. Here in this proclamation, as he's saying this at this major point on his trip down the Mount of Olives into the Kidron Valley and then up to, toward the Temple Mount, as he says this, he's talking about himself as being divine, the time of God's coming, and you're missing it. You don't understand what's going on, and we know there was a miss. This crowd was, was welcoming him as a messianic king, but only a political and military king. They'd seen his miracles and they thought, surely he can throw off the oppressor Rome and we can be free as a nation again. They didn't understand his mission to go to the cross, to be buried, to be raised from the dead, and then ascend to the Father and send out his disciples. They didn't understand the full implications of why he had come to bring redemption, not just to one nation from one oppressor, but all of humanity from the oppressor of sin and the curse of death and hell itself. And this wonderful story of Jesus coming to Jerusalem, we see King Jesus for who he really is. And I want us to just see three snapshots that are found here in this text about who Jesus is. Number one, he's the true king. He's the true king. If you look at literature and you look at movies, you look at oral traditions of of uh, groups around the world and cultures around the world long before there was film or long before there was a printing press. There are stories of this messianic king in various stories, whether it's in, in real life stories, people anticipating a ruler, someone who will rescue them, who will give them peace in their land. Or you know there are fictional stories, uh, stories even like Star Wars or or, or some of the fables and some of the fairy tales that we've told for many years. Many of the Disney stories have this messianic hero who comes and rescues everyone. And a lot of people then say, yeah, Jesus is just another one of those stories. He's just another one of those individuals that are put into a story people make up. And he just is one of those messianic heroes that have been talked about in all kinds of cultures all over the planet. Now, Jesus is the story. He is the messianic king. He is the true king who was promised from the time sin entered the world. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter three and verse 15, and you get the first hint that there is gonna be a solution provided by God himself for the sin that entered the world and the curse that came as Adam and Eve were cast from the garden and every human being would have the curse of sin and death fall upon them. There is a hint in Genesis 3.15 that God was going to send a messianic redeemer, a messianic messiah, a king. And Jesus is that true king as he enters into Jerusalem in his final week of earthly ministry here on planet earth. There are a couple things about the true king. Number one, he fulfills prophecy. He fulfills prophecy. You see, if you go back and you see him telling him to go get a, a donkey, and, and it's a, a young donkey that's never been ridden, it's untamed, and he says, go and get that donkey. And then he rides that donkey down the Mount of Olives into the gates of Jerusalem. It seems a bit odd. It was odd to them in their day, because a Messianic king would not come in on a slowpoke donkey. Kings entered into cities after times of victory or they're ready to lead their, their, their soldiers out in battle. They would ride on a mighty horse. 
They would show their power and they would show the speed at which they'd either conquered or they're about to conquer. And so it's unique that Jesus would enter in on a donkey, a young, untamed donkey. But it's the fulfillment of prophecy. It's the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. In Zechariah 9.9, we read, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The other three gospels actually quote Zechariah 9.9. But it's inferred in the passage here as Luke records the story because Jesus rides in on this donkey. Then he is a fulfillment also of some of the messianic psalms, like Psalm 118, 25, and 26 says, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All four gospel writers capture that kind of language from the crowd as they throw their cloaks on the ground, which is what they did when Jehu was anointed in 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 13. They threw their own cloaks on the ground before him as he rode by, showing respect and honor as they were submitting themselves to Jehu as king. The waving of the palm branches reminds us of the Old Testament prophecy that the, fields of the, the trees of the field will clap their hands. As a matter of fact, just two centuries earlier, Earlier, Simon Maccabeus would come in, Simon Maccabee of the Maccabees would come in to Jerusalem and as he entered Jerusalem, they would raise their palm branches in victory. And so the scene of all these people, including children, some who are coming with Jesus, the gospel writers tell us some are coming with him from Galilee into Jerusalem for Passover week with Jesus, and then you've got some who come out of the city, and there's this great crowd, and they're welcoming him, and it is all the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now, depending how you count, Jesus fulfilled in his first coming either 300 Old Testament prophecies or up to 575, depending how you split out each of the prophecies. See, he's the true king. He was not a phony. There'd been many who'd come and claimed to be. There'd been many who've claimed to be Jesus in, in even our generation, who've claimed to be the Messiah coming again. But he is the true king. He fulfills prophecy. Secondly, he brings hope. He brings hope. You can sense from the crowds who've been oppressed by the Romans that they're, they're, they're just hungry for freedom. They're ready for release. They, they understand that he is coming into Jerusalem and there is great hope. I love how Paul talked to Titus about the second coming of Jesus, that we're looking for the blessed appearing, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I hope you have a sense of anticipation you know Christ as your savior and you recognize he came the first time to be the savior of the world and he's coming again and he's bringing hope so that the book of Revelation says in Revelation 21 that one day Jesus will wipe away every tear and there will be no more disease, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. And when you look at King Jesus, the true king, you see one who fulfills all the Old Testament prophecy but he brings hope to the human heart. He brings hope to our lives when we rest in him. And I just wanna pause and make sure that if you're here today and you, you haven't come to that place where you've rested your faith in Jesus, that you would do that today. 
Because you can put your faith or your hope in, in financial things, in people, and in your career, your success, your portfolio, your skills, your experiences, what you, what you believe about other people, but all the things of this world will fail you, but there is only one worthy of all, your hope of all your faith, and that's Jesus who entered Jerusalem on that triumphal entry, and he wants to come into your life and bring you hope. The scriptures make it very clear that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God forgives us of our sin and gives us an eternal home with him in heaven, and he walks with us today through the ups and downs of life. But there is nothing we can do to earn that relationship with God. Jesus did it all in his death, burial, and resurrection. So if you're here today, I want you to understand that you can have hope in Christ, a hope you can find nowhere else and in no other person than in Jesus. And I want to urge you to put your faith in Christ today. Pastor John, who was up here hosting a few moments ago, will, will be up after I'm done and you can meet him. He'll be down front after the service and you can speak to him. You can speak to a Christian friend who maybe came with you today or someone you might know here on the staff. But make sure that you know the hope that's found in the one who is the true king, the hope that's found in Jesus. Jesus is the true king. Secondly, the second snapshot we have is that Jesus is the gentle king. Jesus is the gentle king. If you look back at the passage, <clears throat> we read in uh, verse 30, it says that he sent them, told them to go into the village it says, you'll find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Now, I haven't been around the kind of animals you ride, and I understand that the breed of donkeys that would be found even today in Israel are smaller than the donkeys we have here in the United States. It's a smaller breed, but they're very sturdy. And soon after they're born, they can be ridden because they're such a sturdy animal. They can be used in farming right away because of the nature of these animals. But any animal has to be tamed. And so for Jesus to say, go get a donkey that has never been ridden, and then he's going to ride this donkey, and this is not how you would put this production together. You wouldn't go get an untamed, unridden donkey because this donkey is gonna wander this way as you're going down the Mount of Olives. It's gonna go over here and eat a little bit and might kind of try to get you off its back because it's not used to this, even though it's able to do this. And, and yet Jesus rides this donkey. As a matter of fact, some commentators believe it's possible that this donkey is so small and yet sturdy to hold him enough that Jesus' feet may have been dragging on the ground. Now the image of a victorious king coming into a city or a king coming to release the city from its oppression kind of fades when you see him on a donkey with his feet perhaps dragging on the ground. That's not the image of a victorious king. But he is that victorious king. He is the true king. But he's a gentle king. He's the gentle king. Some commentators say that even riding this untamed donkey was a demonstration of his omnipotence. And that anyone in that day, and all would have understood an untamed animal being ridden, would have been shocked and stunned that this young donkey would submit to his control. And that even riding the donkey in was a demonstration of his divine power, but he does it in such a gentle, humble, meek way. 
It reminds me that when you give your life to Christ and you submit to the Lordship of Christ in every area of your life, you seek to walk according to his word and let his spirit guide you, it reminds me that we have a gentle king. He's not doing what is harsh and cruel. He's doing what is best for us when he says we're to live a particular way. When we live according to the scriptures and we submit ourselves to his lordship, there is a gentleness there. Most kings, when you give them control, eventually they become an oppressor. Even the best of kings will oppress in some way. Remember King David, how he killed Uriah because of the sin with Bathsheba. There was an oppression that came into their family from such a great king because every human king fails to understand power and control. Every leader ultimately, unless they submit themselves to the lordship of Christ, misunderstands what leadership and power and control are all about. But when you give control to King Jesus, you can be assured that he will never oppress you. If only they had understood why he had really come and if they would have submitted to him, not thinking of him as a political military savior, but they had seen him as the savior of the world, the king of kings and lord of lords and submitted their lives to him, they would have had freedom, complete freedom as they would give him control. He's a gentle king, he's in control but never oppresses. Secondly, as a gentle king, he's in tears but never weak. He's in tears but never weak. He comes in in this triumphal entry. Again, in the ancient world, you wouldn't see a great conqueror, a messianic hero come riding in on a donkey, perhaps dragging his feet. You wouldn't see him in tears but he stops partway down. One of my favorite places to be in Israel is overlooking the city at what's called the teardrop church, shaped like a teardrop. And you look down at the same place, about the same location that Jesus looked down as we read in verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem, saw the city, he wept over it because they were rejecting him. They were missing the reason he came. He says that the final part of the whole passage in verse 44, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. His heart breaks and he predicts what would happen in 70 AD that the Romans would dismantle the temple and break it down. Days earlier, he would be crying with Mary and Martha over their pain for the loss of their brother Lazarus, but he would raise Lazarus from the dead. But tears flowed from Jesus. When you're in a dark moment, when your life is at a desperate place, when you feel like you have nowhere to turn, where you feel like nobody gets it, no one hears you, and you're there in the quietness of your own soul going through whatever you're going through, when those tears come, you can be assured that the gentle king, the gentle king shares your tears. His heart breaks when your heart breaks. And he wants you to turn to him, and he is the gentle king who will guide you through the darkest moments and the deepest waters of life. He's the gentle king, in control but never oppresses, in tears but never weak. Ukraine has been in the news a lot lately. In 2015, I was in Ukraine along with my son, Jonathan. Uh, we had started a ministry in about 2010 or 11 into Western Ukraine through a connection we had it was in the gypsy camps of Western Ukraine. Some of these camps have been there hundreds of years outside of towns. 
And it's, they're really slums made of cardboard and steel that they pick up somewhere and a piece of wood here. And some of these shanties have been around decades. Some have just been put together. Uh, the people have no money. They have no food. It's a, extreme poverty. And we established some soup kitchens for children there. And um, the children there, in many ways, these are gypsy children that are marginalized in Europe and marginalized in Ukraine. And, and we've been getting some resources to them through some of our partners even since the war began. And because of our connection there, we've had opportunities to do some pretty incredible things and get some resources there. But we never knew we'd be at this point where there'd be an invasion by Russia as we've been seeing. But on this occasion, when John and I were in Ukraine, we happened to go with the president of Sony Pictures Distribution. He had taken his dog to a dog hotel near us in Westlake Village, California, and um, on the counter, someone who had been on a missions trip to that one of those gypsy camps, we work in three or four of them there, he saw this book and it had pictures of children with flies on their faces and naked children in the streets. And he saw the terrible conditions and he said, where is this? This isn't in some remote bush location in Africa or some tribal island somewhere. He said, where, where is this? And he was told it was Europe and he had a Ukrainian background. So then he got a burden for these kids and he got others in Hollywood to start giving money to our Ukrainian project. And he really wanted to go see what was happening. He bought Columbia coats for the kids because kids would freeze to death every, every winter. Some of the kids just froze to death. And what happened was their parents decided to use their Columbia jackets for fuel for the fires they had to keep warm rather than keep them on their kids. It became more complicated. But, but we decided, he decided he wanted to go and see it. And I said, oh, he can't go alone. Well, he invited a, a woman who is the lead in the United Nations for caring for children around the world and a very wealthy woman out of London. And she brought interpreters and videographers. And we ended up with this little shuttle bus, John and I, with all these people who didn't even know Jesus. And we're, we're going to this location and um, as we go into the location, we stop this little minibus in the first gypsy camp. And we get out, and, and this man, Don, who is the president of uh, Sony uh, Studios Distribution, um, he's probably at the time in his mid-60s, and, and he gets out, and I find we're all interacting with the kids, and the kids come running. And some, this, is, this was in August, it was probably 85 degrees, and, and some of these children are just buck naked. It, I've not even seen this kind of thing in some places in remote parts of Africa and other in Indian places that I've been. It's really astonishing you can be in Europe and see this. These kids will come in just buck naked to this, this soup kitchen, just sit down and eat and everybody acts like this is normal and you've got nine, ten-year-old kids and it's just such a different environment. And I, I noticed Don wasn't with the group in this little road when we got out and all these kids came to gather around the bus and, and uh, I look and he's behind the bus and I find him just in tears. And one thing that had happened is we didn't prepare him like we would other short-term trips going to a place like this. And so he was overwhelmed by the needs once he was in that spot. And he kept apologizing me and he was wearing his sunglasses. He said, I'm so sorry that I'm in tears. I, I'm so sorry, I'm a, I'm a grown man. I should not be crying. I said, oh yes, you should. And I'd been sharing Christ with Don. This was such an odd trip that he took on his own and uh, wasn't really a mission trip, but I decided to go with him because I was afraid he'd, he's such a type A guy. I thought he'd change the whole project and it'd become something else. And, and uh, he, he kept saying to me, I'm a grown man, I shouldn't be crying. I said, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, the heartache and the pain. Jesus wept when people were sorrowing. And, and it gave me an opportunity to share Christ with him. 
and to talk about the gentle savior, the gentle king that Jesus is. He's the gentle king, in control but never oppresses, in tears but never weak. And whatever you're going through, you can know that the true king is also the gentle king of your soul. He wants to be with you and walk with you through the toughest times of life. Thirdly, the third snapshot we get in this triumphal entry is not only is Jesus the true king, the gentle king, but he's the worthy king. He's the worthy king. The, the famous part of this, of course, that I think most of us who know the story just really love is in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples because they're crying out, Hosanna, salvation now. They're declaring in, in other gospel records, they're declaring that he is the son of David and he's bringing back the throne of David and, and the Pharisees don't want this. This, this can't be, they, they need Jesus to be out of the way and later in the week, they use the same crowds to get Jesus out of the way, but they're upset because they understand there is worship going on. They're saying words of worship and the crowds are excited and there's hope and they're, they're celebrating him as the victorious Messiah that's been longed for through the ages. Verse 40, I tell you, Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If, if we weren't singing praises this morning, if, if you don't sing praises in your own heart to God, if you don't listen to Christian music and let it, allow it to shape your life, what's gonna happen is the stones, the, the trees, uh, uh, the creation itself is singing a song and creation itself is on its tippy toes with hope and anticipation. Romans 8 says that all of creation is groaning, waiting for the day when everything is gonna be made right. Not just will our tears be washed away, there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow for us as human beings, but all of creation will be restored to what it was to be in the new heavens and the new earth, to what it was at the time of the Garden of Eden before sin entered in. And he says, even the stones will cry out. He's the worthy king. No matter what's gone in your life this week, gone on, no matter what goes on this week, he is worthy of our worship every day because he never changes. He's worthy, he's the worthy king. He's worthy of our worship, first of all. And one of the things you see throughout the scriptures is when people worship, then they respond in obedience. And so as we worship him and we understand who he is and, and we're overwhelmed by his nature and his being, we then find ourselves not only worshiping in response, praising him for who he is, but then we find ourselves more and more submitting ourselves to his lordship and walking in obedience. If we don't cry out, the stones will cry out. The inanimate objects he's created will scream out the praise to the God of the universe. He's the worthy king. He's worthy of our worship and he's worthy of our gratitude. He's worthy of our gratitude. We, we read in this passage that um, they, they, it says in verse 37, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. So they're praising him for all the miracles they had seen. This is not just a worship setting because of who he is, but this is an expression of gratitude because of what he's done. They have thankful hearts. Gratitude changes us. We talk about that at Thanksgiving, usually not usually around uh, Palm Sunday. But I love how someone has put it, it's not happy people who are grateful, it's grateful people who are happy. When you're struggling with being happy, find things to thank God for, be grateful, express those things to God. These people are praising him because they see him as this, this king who's entering and they worship him as God, but at the same time, 
They're praising him and expressing gratitude and thanks for what he has done. Ephesians 5.20 says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the worthy king. He's worthy of our worship. And we truly worship him. Obedience comes out of that. And when we are grateful to him, service comes out. We serve him. Service comes out of our lives. Some of you may have been here years ago when I was pastor. During one of our services, my professor and friend, John Sproul, who's now with the Lord, was preaching, and I was seated on the platform on the Oakhurst campus on one of the pulpit uh, pews that were there, or platform pews, and, and while Dr. Sproul was preaching, a man entered the door and walked up. Does anybody remember this occasion? You remember that? He walked straight up, and I didn't even see him because I was watching Dr. Sproul, and as as the man came up, he stumbled on the first step, and then he came right up, but that's when he caught my attention. And just as I get my he gets my attention, he lunges into me with his hand, and puts his hand in my chest. And I remember, like a chill went down my spine because my first reaction was he was stabbing me. You remember that occasion? And, and he whispered, as, as he stumbles into me and goes into my chest, he whispers in my ear, give this to Jesus, which didn't help because I thought he meant I was gonna be with Jesus soon. So in that instant moment, I cringe because I think I'm being stabbed and I'm thinking this guy's intention is that I'm gonna be with Jesus soon. And he walked out, we were also stunned. He was able to walk out, get in his semi-tractor trailer and continue his trip. He was a, a, a truck driver from Roanoke who was bringing mail out here to the postal place out here and he would have been listening to us live on the radio. And as he, as he uh, came through, he started to recognize, oh, that's the church I'm listening to. And so one day he stopped, walked in, said, give this to Jesus as he tripped into me and lunged into my chest. And then a couple of the men in the church followed up with him and we found he had recently come to Christ. And because of his work, he wasn't always able to be in his church in Roanoke. He'd recently been baptized and he came in, we all sensed in that moment, this was not good, right? But he came in with a grateful heart. He wanted to say thank you to Bible Center for the radio ministry. He wanted to say thank you to Bible Center because we've been helping build him up in the Lord when he couldn't be with his own church. He said, give this to Jesus. And as they're waving the branches and they're putting the cloak before Jesus and he rides into Jerusalem as the, as the messianic hero, the messianic king prophesied of the Old Testament, bringing hope just as that man was in his own way humbly trying to express gratitude to God, we need to understand he's not just the true king, he's not just the gentle king, he is the worthy king. He's worthy of our worship, he's worthy of our gratitude and our praise. As you think about Jesus this week, can I ask you to allow your heart and mind to open up to a fresh glimpse of who Jesus is? To see him completely for who he is? This is a great week to track with the story from the entry on the one Sunday into Jerusalem and the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday and then to walk with him through the week until you get to Easter Sunday and the celebration of resurrection, which is coming next week. And I'm praying you'll have a great resurrection Sunday. I'll be back in California and I can't wait to preach. If you can't preach on Easter, you might as well hang it up, right? And I hope God will allow you to see many people come to Jesus this Easter season. But I hope too that you'll get a fresh glimpse 
of who Jesus is, not who you want him to be, who you think him to be, but who he is. And I've written some devotionals for our church this week, and I'd share them with you. You can find them at calvarywestlaketake5.org. They're gonna make them available through the various channels of communication, social media, and other things here at Bible Center. But each day I've written a devotional that will appear that mirrors that day and what Jesus did that day so that we can get a fresh glimpse of the one who is the true, gentle, and worthy king. And I wanna encourage you to open your heart, open your mind, allow yourself to see Jesus for who he is, not who you want him to be. Let me just ask you the question, are you embracing King Jesus for who he is or for who you want him to be? He's the true king, he fulfills prophecy, he brings hope, he's the gentle king. When he's in control, he's not an oppressor. He has tears, but he's not weak. And he's the worthy king. He's worthy of our worship that leads to obedience. He's worthy of our gratitude that leads to service. Are you embracing King Jesus for who he is or who you want him to be? Let me, let me tell you this, he doesn't have glow-in-the-dark hands. And you can't make an action figure that can capture who Jesus is. When I was a kid, life was not always easy as my mom had a lot of mental health problems and issues. And um, I've told that story, finally came to the place I could tell that story publicly at about age 50. And um, one of the things that would happen would be often at night I would find myself crying myself to sleep over something that happened or was happening in our house. And uh, I would sort of talk to Jesus. And one time at our church, we had a, a gospel trio come through. I think they were called like the kingdom trio or the king's trio or something like that. And they were just a husband and a wife and, and, and uh, then the brother-in-law and they, they weren't very good actually at all. Now that I have heard some of the recordings, they were not good. But they came to our little church in Northern Indiana and they sang some songs. They remember a song they sang I'd never heard before. This is probably about 1978 or so. It was The King Is Coming by Bill and Gloria Gaither. And I asked my dad if I could buy one of their albums they were selling and he let me do that. And I played that album in my room, I don't know, hundreds if not thousands of times when my heart was breaking. And the words of that song, the chorus of that song, oh, the king is coming, the king is coming, I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. Oh, the king is coming, the king is coming, praise God, he's coming for me. Someone, I said that in a sermon one time, somebody said, were you suicidal? No, it wasn't suicidal, that wasn't it. It was this hope that it won't always be this way. That was the hope of that crowd. And Jesus is the true king, the gentle king, the worthy king. And we know that he came the first time to be our savior and he's coming again to set everything right ultimately with the new heavens and a new earth. And when we know him, we're gonna be with him for all eternity and all the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I love that part of the king is coming when it says, and now his face I see. Take this week to get a fresh glimpse at Jesus from scripture during this holy week and make sure that you're passionately pursuing the Jesus who is, not the Jesus you want. What you want is far less than who he is. And let me tell you, if you want deep joy, you wanna pursue King Jesus, King Jesus. Father, thank you for the joy of knowing you. Thank you for sending your son for us. 
And I pray that we would be reminded that the King has come to be the Savior and he's coming again to catch all of us to be with him forever. And I pray, Father, that if there's somebody here who's gotten their eyes off King Jesus, that this week would be a week they would choose to refocus, to see him afresh. In this Passion Week, to see the scriptures that talk about who Jesus is, and may they be able to say they've got a fresh glimpse of that one who is the true, gentle, and worthy King. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.